Hello, and thank you for tuning into Gifted Insights, the true crime podcast that's dedicated to examining the most unimaginable cases through the paranormal lens of our amazing psychic Gina Nissanoff. Together with host, Kurt Dillon, this dynamic duo, along with other co-hosts and companions, delve deep into some of the most unorthodox, bizarre, and so far, unsolvable cases from all over the world. Join this team of extraordinary super sleuths as they endeavor to unlock the secrets that have so far eluded some of the world's finest investigators. This is the Gifted Insights Podcast. And here's your host, Kurt Dillon. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you and welcome to this next episode of Gifted Insights, where we are going to employ our incredibly talented psychic, Gina Nisanoff, and together we are going to evaluate the bizarre case of the death of Debbie Collier. You may have heard about the 59-year-old Georgia mother of two who began uh, about a 24-hour stretch of some really bizarre behavior that ultimately led to her pulling off the side of a road in very rural North Georgia that, by all accounts, she had absolutely never been to before in her life, hiking about a mile up into the woods into a clearing, taking off all of her clothes, dousing herself with gasoline, and setting herself on fire, ultimately committing suicide. Unfortunately, that is the official story on the case, per the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and the county authorities, including the county coroner who evaluated the body and the crime scene. Unfortunately, as we look at this case, things just don't seem to make sense with that explanation. So, requested all the information of the police reports through Freedom of Information Act requests to the local authorities and to the coroner's office, and it is quite honestly shocking at what we discovered. So you don't want to go anywhere. Stand by. This case, very different from most of the cases that we cover, and we're going to get into all the details of it right after this. This episode of Gifted Insights starts now. the price of dog food is getting outrageous. And if I want to save a few bucks, I have to carry a 50-pound bag of kibble up the stairs into my apartment. There has to be a better way. There is. I'm so glad you said something. You poor thing, we've been using TummyTimePetSupplies.com for over a year now. TummyTimePetSupplies? What's that? TummyTimePetSupplies.com. They have all the major brands and most smaller brands as well. In fact, we not only get all of our dog and cat supplies there, but they also have everything we need for Brett's chinchilla, Ashley's ferrets, Haley's iguana, and even Jordan's pet tarantula. Wow, they sell all that? And more. But what's best about TummyTimePetSupplies.com is that they ship everything through Amazon Fulfillment. That means that everything you order gets delivered right to your door, and if you're an Amazon Prime customer, shipping is almost always free. That really sounds incredible, but I bet it's super expensive. Mark just got laid off and I can't afford all those special conveniences for a while. Nonsense. In fact, Tummy Time offers some of the most reasonable prices anywhere. You really have to be a whiz and coupon shopping to beat their everyday prices, and when they run sales, forget about it. 
I can't believe it, an incredible selection, great prices, and right to your door service. So what do you think? I think the next time I buy anything for my pets, I'm going to TummyTimePetSupplies.com. I think that's a very wise choice. Me too. That's right. For all your pet needs, it's TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Remember TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you again for joining us today for this, the Gifted Insights episode regarding Debbie Collier. So really, really fascinating uh, how this is going to play out. So without any further ado, Gina, I know you got some stuff for us, so take off. Well, um, just wanted to say when I looked at the pictures, what I picked up was that Debbie was going through some severe financial issues um, there were some financial burdens, um, and I really felt that this has a, a more to do with a male family member. I really believe people should look at the husband a little closer, but this could also be um, uh, son or son-in-law or stepson as well could have something. So somebody had some severe financial stuff. I felt like this um, lady was really uh, very going through a lot of anxiety. That was what I picked up from her, that she was really trying to rush around. She felt like she was, you know, barely just skating by is kind of what I picked up, which is um, very, very interesting. She also had a sense that something was going to happen to her. Uh, huh. She just felt that intuitively. And um, the other, yeah, she had also very unsettling, upset. Um, and so I really feel like there was also some legal proceedings as well. So this could be in contributed either to her or her husband or even the, the uh, male family member. There was something going on which probably contributed to some financial issues. Fascinating. Fascinating. Really. Now, a little bit more details of her case. She was a, a, a 59-year-old housewife uh, that lived in Athens, Georgia, right by where the uh, Georgia Bulldogs play. And she ended up taking a, a really odd journey in the last 24 hours of her life. She ended up going about 65 miles away from where she lived to a really remote location in the woods after stopping at a dollar at a family dollar store and buying just some objects that you would never like a poncho, a tarp, uh, one of those long fireplace lighters, um, and just some silly things. Anyway, she then goes to this remote location out in the middle of the woods. And if we're to believe what we're being told by the authorities, stripped off all of her clothes, took an overdose of Oxycontin and set herself on fire. Wow, um, that sounds like a lot, but I can definitely um, tell you she was not, she was not a happy person, or she was definitely unsettled, especially the day of. It was like she was, you know, she just had a lot going on. Um, so it's not a, a stretch, and it definitely has to do with money. There was some financial issues. This was one of the most striking things about this case was that about an hour before she died, as, according to what the autopsy thinks, she sent a very cryptic Venmo message to her daughter, Amanda. And in the Venmo message, it said, she, she now she also wired her daughter, along with that message, $2,385. Uh, 
And the message that accompanied the money transfer said, they're not going to let me go. I love you. Key to the house is under the flower pot. And that was it. There was something she couldn't get out of. And I have a feeling it has to do with or what I'm picking up is legal something, some sort of legal proceeding. It might not even be her. It might have been with her husband. Um, I don't know if somebody should, if he was uh, spoken to or looked into. I really believe he had some, um, felt like he was hiding something. Now, there's really not a lot that has been covered about the husband. The husband's been moved. He hasn't appeared on any media or any of that kind of stuff. The daughter, for some reason, took to the podcast circuit. And I mean, it's hard if you go, if you just look at her name, uh, you'll find her on about a hundred different podcasts all, all around the world. She's even been in podcasts in the UK and in Germany and in Australia and uh, New Zealand. I mean, she's d- just not stopping. The son, who lives in Maryland, much more reserved, much more quiet. He's embattled now. He has a dispute and a lawsuit going on against the sheriff of the county where his mother's body was found because apparently the sheriff's office had leaked information about the status of the body and how it was found before anybody in the family even knew about it. So according to what he says in a video that's on our YouTube page in an interview with Vinnie Politan on court TV, he says that his name is Jeffrey. He says that, you know, he found out that they found his mother's body by watching the TV. So the police had never even notified them that they found his mother's body yet. He saw it on TV. So he's got a big issue going on with the sheriff's department there right now as we speak. The interesting thing about the legal trouble, and I want to see now when I clarify this a little bit, there's been nothing in the record about the husband having a legal drama or the son. However, Amanda's husband, the son-in-law, was on probation. And he was behind on his probation almost the exact amount of money that Debbie wired to her daughter right before she died. Now, this has made a lot for a lot of speculation that it's possible that the son-in-law and possibly Amanda herself were involved and that Amanda or the son-in-law are the ones that actually initiated the wire, the Venmo wire transfer to themselves from her either after she was dead or when she was already incapacitated. Yeah. Well, like I said, this was um, a male was involved. It was a family member, could be son, son son-in-law. Yeah. Or husband. So I don't know how probation works. Forgive me. I, I don't know if it's like a bail thing. I have no idea. But I know that there was money involved, like I said, financial, uh, some financial stuff. Um, And now that we're talking about the son-in-law, wondering if he was involved in something or or involved with some people that maybe he owed and she felt responsible because she was not herself that day, 100%. Yeah, I haven't heard about him owing anybody, but like I said, it was released that he was behind on it. What happens with probation is if you commit a crime against somebody and you're ordered to pay restitution, you have to make those payments monthly while you're on probation or parole or whatever. If you fail to make those payments and can't prove that you at least tried to make those payments, they could revoke your probation and send you back to jail or send you back to prison, whatever the case may be. Now, I don't know what he was actually on probation for or any of that stuff, but 
whatever it was, he owed money to probation and he was behind on his payments to the order of a little over $2,000. And it's funny that $2,385, which is kind of an odd amount. It's not like, you know, if you're going to send your daughter money, it's going to be like 2,500 or 2,250 or you're not, you're going to send 2,385 unless she needs that exact amount of money for something. Yeah. Well, I wonder if she was somehow on the hook for paying, like, you know, if you co-sign for a car, right. You could be on the hook. For it. That's possible. Or maybe she was even making these payments, but that kind of um, it kind of you know it, it clarifies or it it confirms the financial issue in the mail um, you know that I, I picked up on when I looked at her um, pictures. Yeah, awesome. Cat, what do, what do you think about that? Well, it was so funny. The other thing that I wrote down was mail felt like he had burdens that he couldn't handle. So. <laughs> interesting i wrote that down um and i wasn't i wasn't for sure like which male um i like i said i did uh, write down male felt burdens that he couldn't handle so gotcha. um, yeah uh gina i was looking at um some pictures and mm -hmm. i thought um you know she was so cute and just looked like a person i would want to be around what, what kind of personality can can you give us insight to well, she was, um, the insight that I pick up was this was um, uh, more of like a mother that took care of everybody before herself. Um, so, you know, anybody's, this, I could easily see somebody carrying, especially a family member or somebody close to her's burdens. The other thing I picked up about the male was this was a male who threw temper tantrums if he didn't get his way. So... Um, huh. It would be interesting to look into what he was in prison for, but this lady um, really felt um, that she was overwhelmed with whatever she had going that day. I felt a lot of anxiety is what I was picking up. And, um, you know, these, this definitely had to do with financial issues, a male um, who had burdens, always needing money, young, unknown male, younger male. So, and I wasn't sure if that was a son or a son-in-law or somebody maybe uh, working with the husband or the husband, you know, how some people marry and they have kids, maybe his son. I, I wasn't clear with that. Right. Right. Yeah. Really, really interesting stuff. Another element of this crime is, or according to the, G the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, it's not a crime because they have this listed as a suicide. There are some things, some elements that occurred, uh, and I want to get into that with Eugenia next to see if you're feeling like she took her own life despite the thing, or if, if you think foul play was involved. Now, first, I don't know. Are you familiar with Dr. Michael Bodden? No. Okay. Dr. Michael Bodden is a world-renowned forensic pathologist. He was the chief medical examiner for New York City for about 22 years. He's done over 4,000 autopsies, written you know, like a couple dozen books. Uh, and things like that. So he's one of the most renowned uh, forensic pathologists on the planet. The family got hired Dr. Michael Bond, the son specifically, because they didn't accept the fact that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and the local authorities labeled her death as a suicide. And they they hired Dr. Michael Bond to come and do a second autopsy on Debbie Collier. And when he did, he said that there was no trace of soot or smoke in her lungs, no fire damage to her lungs or to her esophagus. And his exact words, and in all the times I've heard him disagree 
with other forensic pathologists, I've never heard him issue a quote like this. His exact words were, to claim that this was a suicide is a disgrace against the science of forensic pathology. Wow. I have a question. Yeah. Um, it was that gentleman that was on probation, he lived in the area? Not real close, but not real far away either. They didn't live in the same house with, uh -huh. uh, with Debbie and her husband, but they didn't live real far away either. Because I wrote down, male was planning to do this, then leave the area. Okay. So, and like I said, she knew something was going to happen to her. She uh, felt it coming on. And are you picking, I know, I know you're getting a strong vibe from the male. Yeah. Are you getting anything from the daughter? I, I just, I'm, I'm curious to see if the son-in-law was maybe planning this and then he was going to leave the daughter or if, you know, I don't know if they have a happy marriage or if the daughter was planning, was she behind it and she was planning on going too. I feel like the daughter, I don't know that the daughter was necessarily involved in like that, but what I am getting is just somebody that would have been communicating to her mother, uh, you know, going to her for help that type of thing. Um, okay. I don't see her like, well, let's do this. We'll get it from my mom and, you know, do something to my mom. I, I definitely don't get that. But I also believe that she might not have been as, as um, confident or as, you know, was maybe in a situation that was codependent. Okay. Um, she could have had that type of personality. Um, really interesting. I don't know. I feel like they, her and this husband, have been going back and forth. I mean, I'm also picking up could be uh, some drug, drug use or drug addiction there, some sort of addiction, possibly alcohol. Um, but I feel like it, this was more the male. Um, and I believe that, you know, Debbie probably said, listen, I'll help you out, but. I'm not going to carry the full weight of this, but it, I think that's what it turned into. And it was just too much for her. Right. And she couldn't take, I, cause I definitely could see her talking to the daughter, talking to the daughter, talking to the daughter. And are you getting anything about the manner of death? Uh, that was another thing that Baden said in his autopsy report was that in all, in the 40 plus years that he has been a forensic pathologist, he's never seen anybody strip their clothes off and get naked to set themselves on fire. As a method of suicide. So he said he's never seen that. I posted a statistic that I ran across um, th that women, 3.6 deaths per million, have a fire related suicide. I just, it was interesting. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a very small number. And certainly there are suicides by fire. But to go in a 59-year-old woman that has a chronic bad back, she had a chronic bad back for over 20 years, which is why she had the prescription for the oxycodone. So there was definitely a high level of oxycodone in her system. However, she'd been on that prescription for over 20 years. So her body's resistance to the opioid would have probably required her to take higher dosage just for the, the, the medicine to, to have an effect on her after 20 years of taking it every day. So Baden, you know, put that out there that even though it was a really high level of Oxycontin that was in her, that was in her body, she'd been taking the drug for a really, really, really long time. So it might not have really impaired her too much as far as, you know, the, or, or be acting under the influence um, enough, enough that she would take off all her clothes and pour gasoline on herself and set herself on fire. 
just just odd. Also, some of the detritus that was found in and around the body, there was a surgical glove that was turned inside out. There was a ripped portion of a book jacket. And there was a partially burned piece of paper. Also really odd about the crime scene was that a small tree in the area, uh, you got a picture of that tree, was partially sawed in half and then ripped off the rest of the way. And Debbie was holding the base of that tree with her right hand when they found her body. So she had reached out and grabbed the tree while she was, if we believe the autopsy report, setting herself on fire. She was holding onto the tree while she was burning herself to death. But again, like like I said, Baden did not find and that her lungs were, were burnt. So I was just curious if you were finding anything about the method of death, if it really felt to you like she took her own life or if it felt like she had some assistance. No, she didn't take her own life. She definitely had assistance. She definitely had assistance. I mean, I, you know, I can't, no, she didn't. She had, she See, had and that was another thing. Yeah, that was, was another planned. thing that struck me. This was planned by him. Right. She was out in the middle of the woods and where she parked the rented minivan that she had out from where her body was, was about a mile. Almost, it was just under a mile. It was like nine-tenths of a mile through the woods. Um, and the last 50 feet or so of it was a steep decline. I- I'm sorry, 60-year-old women with chronic bad backs don't do that. Uh, they're not going to go by themselves and take a mile-long hike into the woods down an embankment to set themselves on fire. There's just, there's, especially when you have a prescription for Oxy. Like, you could just swallow the bottle of pills and go to sleep, and it's over. Oh, there was one more thing I did pick up. It was just, I found it on, because I have three pieces of paper here with my notes. Yeah. Um, so it looks like there's a couple of kids. I think there was another unexpected pregnancy. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, we hadn't heard anything about that, but I wonder, um, uh, Kat, or uh, did you, did, have you heard, did Amanda declare that she was pregnant again or anything? I didn't see anything. That's why I'm kind of going, Tell me more, Gina. Tell me more. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. She could have given birth by now if it was last year, right? It was last year. But yeah, like I said, she's been on the podcast circuit almost this whole year. So she's been making, uh, you know, video appearances all over the place. Uh, And I haven't heard of anybody saying that she's pregnant. I I haven't really looked either. So now I'm definitely going to open up that avenue of investigation. Well, we don't know if she gave birth or not, but I feel like there was an unexpected pregnancy. Maybe Debbie could have had an unexpected pregnancy, and maybe that's who we need to look at. I'm I'm just reaching here. Gina, this is your area, but you've shocked me. I mean, I'm I'm 59, and I mean, I'm 55. No, I mean, (laughs) it's No, I meant way back when, you know, maybe because you, you've been saying a male family member. Yeah. Could that have been an unexpected pregnancy way back? And, and I, I don't know, I'm reaching here, but I'm just trying to figure out what unexpected pregnancy. So you're, you're thinking that maybe she might have had, she might have like had a child that she gave up for adoption or something like that earlier? Or maybe her daughter was unexpected. I mean, there's something. The daughter, I feel, was maybe pregnant again. Um, okay, that's okay. That that's kind of what I, you know, an unexpected pregnancy, um, and that would have contributed to more financial issues. Right. Very interesting. 
a lot of circumstances about this case. And like I said, uh, actually, when we did the teaser episode about this, Matt had a really good point that he brought up that, uh, you know, if you were going to kill yourself, why would you bother with a rubber glove? What? Yeah. There's like, there's no reason to have a surgical glove there if you're going to set yourself on fire and kill yourself. Just doesn't make sense. And the book jacket, and, and nobody's ever even attempted to explain the book jacket or the the piece of burnt paper that we have there. Another real interesting aside, the video that we have on the YouTube channel, which I hope everybody will go and check out. In that video, in the first couple of seconds, a deputy from the sheriff's department there where her body was recovered said that uh, at this time, we've, this is an exact quote, at this time we see absolutely no evidence of a kidnapping and no evidence of a suicide, which of course later that was that was slightly amended. So I just want to put out there, if any of you have any questions for Gina, you can reach us uh, on the X platform, formerly known as Twitter. Our handle there is at the Veritas underscore seven. And also on our Facebook chat group, you can find us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Veritas seven. You can reach us out there and you could you could submit questions to Jeannie if you like. Uh, also uh, check out our website while you're there. And also on our on our case evidence page there, you'll be able to see the photos of the of the of the crime scene where Debbie's body was recovered, all the detritus that was laying around her, the charred uh, roots of the of an overturned tree that were there. Just some real interesting stuff. You can also see where the minivan was recovered, and you can see the kind of the path or the trail that goes from where she left the minivan to where her body was found. So, re- really interesting stuff there. So you don't want to miss that, miss out on that. Anything else, Gina? Are you finding or thinking anything else? Um, I that was pretty much all that I got in ret- in regards to her. Um, you know, this has to do with child, yeah to do with, um, it says children, child, or pregnancy, legal proceedings um, revolving around money. So I think pretty much, you know, with you guys sharing the case now, now that I get the particulars, I could see. But the last bit of it is still kind of a blur. She definitely went out there, but I definitely feel um, that it was planned. Right. So, well, was it planned she- for her? I don't know. Yeah, well, she had, now, the reason why she had a minivan this whole time, about a month before she had been in a traffic accident with another guy who was on parole, and what she had said to her son, her blood son, not the son-in-law, but what she had said to to her blood son is that she was afraid because after the accident, that parolee had told her to please not call the police because as part of a stipulation of his parole, he was not allowed to drive. But nevertheless, she called. So she said that she was having a little bit of fear and anxiety about that uh, situation there. Mm. That was, uh, you know, people were speculating as to, you know, why she had the minivan or whatever. Ironically, though, it's because she had a rented minivan that was brand new, how they found her body. The rental car company basically lowjacked the van and found where it was, and the, the police were able to, by satellite, hone in on where the van was, and, and then they brought in cadaver dogs, and the cadaver dogs went down around into the woods, and that's how they found their body. Otherwise, not only not only was she in the middle of the woods in an area that is 
off the beaten path. But the really intriguing thing is nobody that knows her thinks that they've never been to that area of Georgia before. It's a really rural area, and it's it's really the kind of place where you've got to know it's there or you're never going to know to stop. There's an actual paved cutout off of a, off of a relatively high-traveled state highway that's just big enough for, like, one or two cars, and it's partially covered by trees. So she literally pulled off this highway into this little enclave of paved area got out and walked a mile up into the woods and set herself on fire. I mean, that's just bizarre. I'm sure weirder things than that have happened, but it just, you know, weird. Well, how many times have we said uh, the word parole as we were talking? And I don't know. Something. Something's going on there. Did we look at what they were arrested for? Was uh, these convicted felons? What were their felonies? Yeah, well, definitely a convicted felon, but I, um, I'm pretty sure it was drug related. I don't know exactly what, the, so I don't want to misquote and say that he was charged. But I'm, I'm, I'm relatively sure it was a drug related uh, felony. Not, you know, not something that's going to get you 50 years in prison. But uh, I, you know, from what I understand, he, he's not the, not the most wholesome citizen. Was it just the son-in-law or the one that she was in the accident, or both? The, the one that she was in the accident with, we have no, we don't even know his name, so we don't have any way of knowing what he was on parole for. Again, probably nothing too serious because he was out and he had he had that element of freedom. He wasn't wearing like an ankle bracelet or anything, so uh, he probably, you know, that doesn't mean it wasn't serious, but it probably wasn't a violent crime. That's first of all. So we don't know who he is. We we don't have any way of knowing or speculating. But the son-in-law, like I said, we didn't look to see exactly what his conviction was for, but uh, we also didn't receive any information on any of the other uh, media channels that we looked into that it was anything heinous or violent or, uh, you know, whatever, just to kind of, the evidence that I saw made me look, made me believe that it was just something that a lot of people fall into. It wasn't, it wasn't something like, uh, you know, he was definitely culpable in committing a crime, but it wasn't, nobody got hurt or anything like that. It was just a, a crime of opportunity or financial gain. But we've got a history of domestic violence is what I'm looking at. Right. Yeah, there is, there definitely is a history of direct, of domestic violence between him and Amanda. I, Amanda had had him arrested a couple of times, I believe. And I, I picked up, you know, he throws tantrums when he doesn't get his way. Yeah, so. Yeah, I, I noticed when you said that, I kind of went, hmm. I'm picking this. Uh, for me, this feels like the family member. This does not feel like um, somebody new. Interesting. And I'm also really, like, this is one of those cases, too, where the husband hasn't spoken out. Like, I, I've not seen a single interview with the husband. I've not seen anybody. He was cleared. By the police early on, obviously, he's the first one they're going to go to. So he had a solid alibi for at the time, for the time of her death uh, or whatever. But the only it's funny that the only thing the police released in reference to the daughter and the son-in-law is that they, they tracked their cell phones for the 48 hours previous to the recovery of Debbie's body. And they found no evidence that either one of them were in the same area where her body was recovered. When I hear statements like that. I take a step back because if you watch investigation discovery enough, you know that most criminals nowadays 
know that if you're going to travel to commit a crime, you leave your cell phone home. You know, or you get a burner. Uh, you know what I mean? You don't you don't bring your personal cell phone with you to go commit a crime or do a body dump where they're going to be able to get a triangulate a, a, a cell phone ping on where you are and, and, it, and even put you anywhere in the vicinity of where that body was found. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, most people know that at this point in the game. Now, not everybody. There are some stupid criminals out there. But, uh, you know, I would think when it comes to, to hiding the body of your mother-in-law, if that's what it is, uh, you're going to make sure that you have an alibi and that you can separate yourself. You have at least three or four degrees of separation between you and wh wherever you know her body's going to turn up eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Unless... Unless he was hoping and he was, you know, by putting her in the woods that she'd be missing long enough that by the time they got up there to retrieve her body, the animals would have gotten her. Well, I remember saying um, he was planning to do this and then leave the area. Right. The plan. I got you. And matter of fact, you know, I, come to think of it, Kat, did you find anything? I think they did leave the area. Something tells me that him and Amanda moved to Tennessee shortly after this happened. And I don't remember where I read that. I do distinctly seem to remember that uh, him and Amanda moved out of state. Well, that... that that clarifies that as well. <laughs> That's confirmation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I just, and I, I, I don't, that just, when you just said it, because you said it a couple times throughout the show, and it didn't ring a bell, but now when you said it, I'm like, wait a minute, where did I read that he, that he moved out, that they left? Uh, for whatever reason, they, they, they took off. And I haven't, I haven't heard anything about the husband, but I did, like I said, we did, we do have that video, that interview with her son. Uh, that's on our YouTube channel. And the son, by the way, remains staunchly supportive of the of the sister. He he's convinced his sister didn't have anything to do with it. I don't but he's he's less uh eager to uh proclaim the innocence of his stepbrother. He 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 never publicly said he doesn't believe her stepbrother had anything to do with it. But he is he is convinced that his sister didn't have anything to do with it. So just an interesting little aside there. Anything else before we wrap up for this episode? Well, that's what I got for Debbie Collier. Um, hopefully we, uh, you know, gave, uh, got some good clues here. And if the case does get looked further into, I would look into that some more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which, you know, the funny thing, nobody can legally look into it since the coroner has labeled it a suicide. Now, if something happens and that changes in the wake of Dr. Biden's second autopsy and there's an amended uh, death, uh, you know, death certificate that's issued that claims homicide as the manner of death. Now it's an op open book again. But as of right now, while it's claimed, you know, while it's declared a suicide, I know law enforcement's not going to do anything to look into it because as far as they're concerned, officially, it's a solved case. Yeah. So it'll be real interesting by the time we get the FOIA information back on this case, if we're able to get all of the information uninhibited and unredacted based on the fact that it's considered a closed case. So that's what I'm hoping for by the time we actually go with the main, with the big episode on this. I can't believe the price of dog food is getting outrageous. And if I want to save a few bucks, I have to carry a 50 pound bag of kibble up the stairs into my apartment. There has to be a better way. There is. I'm so glad you said something. 
You poor thing, we've been using TummyTimePetSupplies.com for over a year now. Tummy Time Pet Supplies? What's that? TummyTimePetSupplies.com. They have all the major brands and most smaller brands as well. In fact, we not only get all of our dog and cat supplies there, but they also have everything we need for Brett's chinchilla, Ashley's ferrets, Haley's iguana, and even Jordan's pet tarantula. Wow, they sell all that? And more. But what's best about TummyTimePetSupplies.com is that they ship everything through Amazon Fulfillment. That means that everything you order gets delivered right to your door, and if you're an Amazon Prime customer, shipping is almost always free. That really sounds incredible, but I bet it's super expensive. Mark just got laid off and I can't afford all those special conveniences for a while. Nonsense. In fact, Tummy Time offers some of the most reasonable prices anywhere. You really have to be a whiz and coupon shopping to beat their everyday prices, and when they run sales, forget about it. I can't believe it, an incredible selection, great prices, and right to your door service. So what do you think? I think the next time I buy anything for my pets I'm going to TummyTimePetSupplies.com. I think that's a very wise choice. Me too. That's right. For all your pet needs it's TummyTimePetSupplies.com. Remember TummyTimePetSupplies.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. Just wanted to take a couple of minutes here before we close out for the night to thank you again for listening to Gifted Insights and to ask you to please take a minute, if you enjoyed the show, to follow the show, to rate the show, and to like the show. It only takes about a minute or a minute and a half on your part, but those metrics really are very important to our sponsors and to our advertisers. So we ask that if you enjoyed the show, to please take a minute to do that because it is extremely, extremely important to us. That's going to do it for us for tonight. On behalf of my co-host and incredible psychic, Gina Nissanoff, this is Kurt Dillon wishing you all a great night. Take care. God bless. We'll talk to you soon.